श्री गुरु वैष्णव गुरु परंपरा की जय to uh, preface the answer with or perhaps to uh, underscore would be uh, a better way to state it is that um, when measuring perfection things uh, turn from a material comparison with imperfection where nothing is perfect to a spiritual comparison where everything is perfect. So I want to say that it's not a question of more. Within perfection, who has more bhakti? But there's a difference in quality of bhakti. Just to give you a material example, you can say, who loves, um, um, Bob Moore, his mother or his wife? Mm-hmm. Who does work to be reversed? Anyway, so the, it, there's a dip, there are different qualities of love. One can infinitely love, excuse the, a material example, but uh, from a motherly perspective or from a romantic uh, perspective. So the quality of loving is different. Hmm? Therefore, it's thought that uh, that in spiritual life, the tastes, the various tastes of love for Krishna, who Krishna as a deity uh, affords the greatest uh, variety, if you will. This is why we in our tradition uh, think of Krishna as the fountainhead of all manifestations of divinity because we find in Krishna the capacity to reciprocate in love in ways that exceed that which we find in other manifestations of divinity. Um, outside of the context of our own tradition uh, or the tradition of Hinduism in a broader sense even, you find manifestations of divinity like the Buddha or the Jesus, uh, for example. Within it, within Hinduism, you find Shiva as uh, as an important deity for the Shaivites, uh, the central deity for the Shaivites. Within Vaishnavism, Narayan, Raghupati Ram, Sita's uh, ideal uh lover, uh, and so forth, um, quite a bit of uh, variety, if you will. <clears throat> but um, for the most part, in the different forms of Vaishnavism, and I think cross-culturally as well in Jesus, for example, or uh, as, may be, as may be the case, we find uh, from, to use a, a term, 
uh, from our own tradition, an ideal of love that is uh, reverential. And uh, a type of love that either, either constitutes in its culmination passive adoration. As it was in Catholicism, they have the idea of the beatific vision. So it speaks, at least linguistically, as kind of a, a passive adoration to look and witness the beauty of divinity eternally. We call that shantarasa. Shantarasa means neutrality. It's a, again, it's a passive adoration. Or you find perhaps a step from there into what we would call dasya, which is all that passive adoration includes, but something more active service, where if the service in transcendence is active, then it includes within its focus... Hmm, the qualities of the deity and the activities of the deity. So if you're going to serve someone, um, I guess they need to be moving and, and have apparent necessities and so and more. And 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 the and the the distinguishing characteristics become more more prominent. Hmm? So in Shantarasa. There is no con- from the within the Gaudi perspective. There is no concern on the part of the devotee in passive adoration um, for the qualities, the gunas or the leelas, the pastimes, the movement of Bhagawan, just the form of Bhagawan. So it's kind of a sitting on the fence, adoring passively, something like that. It's a beautiful thing. Um, but uh, when we come. Uh, and for that matter, this kind of reverential love, in, it would, as I'm explaining it, in, in two forms. Hmm? When we move within, let's say, Hinduism, we find largely um, this is the idea. I mean, the Greeks have the idea, of course, that there's a differentiation between erotic love, which would apply to humans, and the eros and agape. Hmm? So godly love is like, in, in considerable contrast to uh, worldly love, not only in that it's not self-centered in any way, but that it's reverential and there's a distance created between the deity and the devotee mm, that is bridged to some extent by worship, but the bridge is fairly visible. Mm. So when we go to... Krishna Bhakti, as I say, the deity, this deity is, is peculiar hmm, um, in comparison in that he is accepting love beyond, we could say, reverential, um, awe-inspired love, where the bridge between the worshiper and the object of worship is actually bridged, and it disappears, and there's a kind of a unity between the deity and the devotee. Here I mean a dynamic unity where the devotee and the deity exchange hearts. Sadhanam hridayam mayam. Krishna said, the devotee is my heart and my heart is the devotee's heart. So this is a dynamic type of union. If I love you, then what you want becomes what I want, which means your heart becomes my heart. What I want in my heart 
is what you want. We remain in the same bodies, but we change hearts, something like that. So there's a kind of dynamic unity, not a unity that cancels out individually, excuse me, individuality, but that um, retains the individuality in a way that in love you and I become we. Somehow we're both there, we're both one, in that we've exchanged hearts, but there's enough difference for us to each tender to one another's hearts. So, again, the distance in reverential of the bridge that makes a clear distinction between the object of love, the worshipped, and the lover or the worshipper is bridged in a, in in Krishna Bhakti, as, as we understand it, as our saints have experienced it. Um, and, and reverential love, if you will, is transcended, and intimate love is um, afforded. And so therefore the depictions of Krishna artistically and uh, um, uh, in poetry and song and, and so forth, iconography and of... of um, and, and, and the, the, the narratives, Leela narratives, where the devotees of Krishna in the pastoral realm of Vrindavan, which is an intimate realm, um, uh, they don't have any really sense of distinction between themselves and Krishna in, in that they think that Krishna is one of the villagers like us. Hmm. He just happens to be attractive to everybody, but but he's 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 one of us. This kind of love in Vrindavan, it um, the baseline of it is called sakya, friendship. There's servile love, but it, it, for the vast majority of all cases, it's tinged with some element of sakya, and uh, sakya or friendship is uh, characterized by equality, equality amongst friends. Hmm? So a sense of equality with the deity, it's a very peculiar idea. Hmm? But this is, this is a, a realm where the infinite is, is appearing in a finite-like form for the sake of the intimacy. Hmm? Because if we were to be close to the finite, then our, our infinite our apparent, our finiteness would be that much more apparent and it would be, it would create an impediment for um, getting closer in a sense. Do you understand? So this is the idea in Gaudiya Vaishnavism. So within that there are different flavors. So there's friendly love, there's parental love, there's romantic love and so on and, and various, various nuances of this and so forth. So it's a very rich idea of, uh, of the deity. Hmm? wherein all um, expressions of love as we know them in this world have their um, application in relation to the deity, which makes them enduring, hmm, e- eternal, because the object of love is, return- is eternal. It, make, it makes them relationships of love that are in relation to an, uh, a, a, an object of love that is fully capable of reciprocating, like in this world, you may love your son. I'm sure you do. But he may not be capable of reciprocating fully. Hmm? Some of you may have that experience. 
or you may love your husband, and he may not be able to be there, you know, for you in all respects, or some, or vice versa, and so forth. So the uh, idea here is, of course, as I'm speaking about it for the moment, the object of love is not uh, perfect, and in the overarching sense, he or she, as an object of love, or it, uh, it's a rather shallow one, but doesn't endure because everything is here today and and gone tomorrow, so including the people as we know them. Hmm? The body-mind complex is constantly in flux and change, and it, it has its um, its uh, timeline as far as it's being a, a, a uh, particular com- combination, manifestation of the material ingredients, so from dust to dust, what they say, ashes to ashes, something like that. So when we repose our capacity to love in any of the ways in which we do, in parental love, in servile love, the servant of the, the master and the teacher, the, the uh, friend and friend, the, the parent and son, lover and beloved, and so forth, in objects that are not uh, enduring, not capable of fully reciprocating, distracted by other things and other types of love and thereby compromised and so forth. This results in love not always being as fulfilling as it's as it is in the movies. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Not everybody lives happily ever after. Mm-hmm. Is the idea. But that we want everybody to live happily ever after. Mm-hmm. We think we should be able to. Mm-hmm. This is what the whole you know, life is about. We live for the moments in which we exceed our um, human capacities. Hmm? Where in the movie everything works out. Hmm? And uh, everyone uh, lives happily ever after. We are living just to exceed and celebrate the exceeding or, if you will, transcending human limitations. So, you know, we just had this year, the summer, the summer Olympics. So if a, if a guy or a gal ran, you know, one-tenth of a second faster than anybody else in the world, it's headline news and everybody's celebrating and gets a gold medal. And so what we're really celebrating in all these things is the sense hmm, that there's more to us than what meets the eye and the mind. Hmm? There's more to us. We're living it with that prospect, with that hope, that aspiration. And we get a glimpse of it as, as the record's broken and, and the movie says it could happen. And so we're just kind of living for this. Well, philosophically speaking, from the point of view of Vedanta, we're living for what we have the potential for hmm, in relation to the perfect object of love. Hmm? So Krishna represents that perfect object of love, and it just so happens that worshiping him and coming to know about him, let us say, as the perfect object of love, informs one's love considerably with with knowledge. So your love now has become wise because you've refined and honed the object of love and sorted it out as I am, you know, very briefly here, and coming to the conclusion, oh, here is the place that I can repose my love. And, and so in, because that has is a result arriving at that conclusion, 
of infusing or having an ingress of knowledge into your loving capacity, then what is also happening then as a result of that is that you are changing your perspective of yourself. Hmm? Because understanding Krishna as the perfect object of love includes understanding what you are in relation to matter and the problem of trying to repose love in imperfect objects and doing so imperfectly because when we are identified with the body-mind complex and we have needs, necessities that we are part of the package of our loving that we seek to drive from others, get from others to fulfill our needs, so on. So, so as, as wisdom is anyway factored into the, to the to our loving capacity by uh, centering it on Krishna. At the same time, then we are coming into understanding that I'm, I'm different than the body mind complex, hmm? and that the body mind complex and identification with it is inhibiting my capacity to love. Not only in terms of reposing it in an imperfect knowledge, another body-mind complex, but also in terms of my ability to actually give without expectation of return, because the body-mind complex puts me in a in a wanton type of position. Hmm? The body has needs, our psychology has needs, and the, and and they'll never be fulfilled. Hmm? Hmm? The call of the senses, of the sense objects upon the senses, you know, it it has no limit, uh, so to speak. So, anyway, in this kind of impoverished sense of existence, uh, we're not in a capacity to give fully. Hmm? So, in when our knowledge, beca- when when our love becomes well informed and wise, in terms of understanding the perfect object of love, along with that. Um, our conception of our self and its potential also changes. So we start to see ourselves as, as a unit of consciousness, as an atma, not as a mind, not as a body. Hmm? And and so we're in a position now to love um, unconditionally and in a way that we can experience the English adage that giving is the receiving. Hmm? And And so with regard to Krishna then, these types of love that we try to play out materially, hmm, parental love, uh, friendly love, romantic love, have their application in transcendence and the problems that arise in material life do not arise. Hmm. This is unique to the deity of Krishna. Hmm. You can't find any theologically any any other idea or manifestation of the deity where such possibilities are discussed. That doesn't make them bad or any, it's just a fact. Hmm? We can look in Christianity, we can look in Buddhism, we can look in Islam, we can look in various schools of, of Hinduism, for example. We can name it Mormonism, the Jewish faith, and so forth. Most of these traditions do have, a, of course, a heart, a, a real esoteric heart, where effacing the ego and arising out of the bodily mind, comp- body mind complex is, is is implicit 
in the teaching, but the description of the deity is such that for the most part it affords us some type of passive adoration, reverential love, or, I mean, theistically speaking, that's as far as I can see that these traditions suggest um, there is a possibility of loving God, which is very much in contrast to our material love, which has all the problems that I mentioned. But can those problems be resolved, so to speak, and those flavors and those qualities of love have application in transcendence? This is the question that our tradition asks, and the answer is yes, in relation to this form of divinity, Krishna. So the heart, really, of divinity, and he says it in the Gita, it's a, a very strong statement, he says, mm-hmm. As people reproach me, I can reciprocate accordingly. And this is played out in more detail in other texts as well, but this is the implication of it, that approaching me in friendly love, I can reciprocate. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you want to be my, love me as a parent, I can reciprocate. Uh, as a lover, I can reciprocate. So this is peculiar about the deity of Krishna. You can like it or you can not like it. Hmm? Um, and so people may may not identify with that particular um, prospect, opportunity, and so forth. They may prefer the idea of of, of reverential love and go for it. But this is a peculiar thing about Gaudiya Vaishnavas, and it's, it, what's, it, what's, what's dri- it's what drives our our practice. Hmm? So, your question is about that. Radha's love, Balaram's love for Krishna. Hmm? You have example there of of romantic love and friendly love, and which one has more love for Krishna? Right? That's your question. Balaram or Radha? More bhakti. Hmm? And they each have unlimited bhakti for Krishna. But the flavor of the bhakti is uh, is different. Now, um, that's true as well in reverential love. Hmm? It's not that the reverential love is somehow um, less in quantity. It's a different quality of love. But the inhabitants of Vaikuntha who love Narayan, or one of his avatars, they have unlimited love, unlimited love, bhakti for Krishna, of that particular flavor. So the distinction in the spiritual world within various types of perfection hmm, is more of a, a qualitative one. Hmm? Some afford more intimacy, and that may be attractive to us. And within intimate love, there are two basic different types, the Sambandarupa and Kamarupa. And then within those, there are many varieties hmm, as well. And for our, in our case, of course, then um, uh, how that comes to us, that will determine our, our, um, our, our ideal. If we associate with persons who love Krishna intimately in a particular way of a particular quality, samskaras, impressions will come on our chitta. And, and, and as we practice, those impressions will come out and we'll love Krishna as a friend or as, as a lover relative to our association, our guru, and so on and so forth. Hmm? 
the lineage that we are affiliated with offers a particular particular opportunities, windows of opportunities, and so on. But all are um, equal, and I would say, in a, in, a, in a quantitative sense. It's a difficult subject to talk about sometimes, and sometimes uh, as a result of words not being capable of fully um, uh, conveying the experience, uh, you might say higher, lower, uh, and, and so forth, Gopis uh, higher than Madhuras higher than Takiras, but but it's it's the limitation really of words. Hmm? Um, more than it is uh, a describing an actual ontological reality of some types of love being better than others. What's best is what's best for each devotee. Each devotee loves Krishna unlimitedly. And in a particular um, flavor relative to the way the sadhus, the saints, through which the um, the um, the deity has has come to us. Does that help answer your question? Hmm? Yeah, her question. Right. Yes. Um, that question came up the other night um, when Ashram Swami was giving class about a verse that said that Krishna loves his devotees more than he loves Lord Shiva, Balaram, or even himself. Yeah, how's that verse go again? It's about Uddhava. Right. Yeah. Yeah, he's, he's speaking to Uddhava and he says that you, my devotee, are more dear to me even than Lord Shiva, my friend, um, Lakshmi, my wife, Sankarshan, my brother, yeah. or even myself. Right. This is a verse that uh, there's, there's two ways to answer your uh, question. You want further explanation of the verse? Um, um, uh, first um, um, way is that it's a bit of hyperbole um, for the sake of emphasizing that Krishna loves his devotees hmm? more than himself which is what the verse is saying, hmm? right? More than Lakshmi, more than Sankarshan, more than Shiva, more than myself. Uddhava, I love you. And Uddhava is, is in this case, the example of the devotee. Hmm? So Krishna is saying, and, and Shiva, uh, Sankarshan, Lakshmi as a Shakti Tattva are all different manifestations of divinity distinguished from the Jivatma, Hmm? the individual Atma, which Uddhava is a representative of. Hmm? So he's saying all the different forms of myself as Shiva, as Sankarshan, in my Shakti Tattva as, 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 as Lakshmi. Hmm? And to be more clear, he says, me, personally, hmm? I, I love Uddhava more. So it's a very endearing statement for us. Hmm? Right? Krishna is saying, this is the philosophy, the theology, that Krishna loves his devotee more than himself. Hmm? That's the one general answer. The other way also to think about the uh, verse is that the persons who are mentioned, other than himself, of course, um, uh, Sankarshan, Lakshmi, Shiva, they all are... um, um, 
relative to uh, realms outside of Vrindavan where Uddhava had access to and was particularly sent there to Krishna and influenced by the mellows of, of, of Vrindavan. Hmm? In a way that Mahasankarshan, who's being referred to in this verse, hmm? of Vaikuntha does not, Lakshmi does not, Shiva, hmm? and so forth. No, it says Sankarshan. Sankarshan. Mm. So, from that point of view, we can appreciate it as well. Uddhava's more intimate with Krishna than Sankarshan, than Lakshmi, than than Shiva. Mm. But of course, he concludes with myself as well. So, again, the real uh, import of the verse is that Krishna loves his devotees more than himself. Mm. Um, which is how love works, right? I mean, as I said, really we change hearts. So, yes. Well, Vishnuraj also explains that um, another reason is that uh, the devotee—it's—it's it's the devotee's surrender and dependence on on the Lord that particularly endears them. Yeah, we're all manifestations of himself and 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 don't have the same necessity as a as 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 a jiva hmm. to be whole hmm. through connection with him in bhakti yes playing out your point also it seems that Uva's not in Raj, but he takes shelter of the residents of Raj, so that's yeah. a showcase that even taking shelter of them, mm-hmm. but not being there personally is... Yeah, endearing. Yeah. Endearing, yeah. He was sent there to give him a message, he got educated. <laughs> Instead, he prayed to take birth there. Mm-hmm. So on and so forth. So that and that is the dearest realm, if you will, to Krishna within all the dear <laughs> realms that, are, that we were saying earlier. So uh, well, you know, he's Krishna talking. So hmm. what's dear to Narayan is a little different than what's dear to Krishna. Hmm. Hmm. Krishna is is endeared by Prema Madhurya. You don't find Prema Madhurya. Typically in Shiva, Lakshmi, Sankarshan, so forth. But you, 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 but Uddhava had experience of that. Was drawn to that. Hmm? The intensity of that he wished would come into his own um, love, which is servile love tinged with with friendship. So he has, he belongs. Was at least visiting there, <laughs> living there. Hmm? Mentally, he lived there forever. You can do the same as the teaching. What else? Yes. When Brahma Haridas comes down to the Haridas, uh, does someone take his post, Brahma's post, at that time? Um, it only took a minute. Okay, <laughs> 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 yeah. There are all kinds of Brahmas 
influenced in all different ways by shuddha bhakti, by gyan, by by uh, karma, and, and so forth. Um, so it's a very, uh, I guess, particular Brahma that uh, we're concerned with in our tradition, who's the overall the creator, but this happens to be one creator who um, be, develops the attraction as he does for for Krishna. Hmm. Yeah. That, that's a peculiar thing about Gaudiya Vaishnavism, the Brahma, who, who there could be any number, be in any number of head, four-headed spaces, if you will, um, is preoccupied with the prospect of, of Rag Bhakti. Hmm. Suitable Brahma for our lineage, as it would be. But the idea there, and to answer your question for those who aren't familiar, of course, there's this uh, interesting point, I guess you could say, from a modern scientific point of view, the idea of the relativity of time um, with the uh, Einsteinian, well, I guess you would call it, discovery of the speed of light. Hmm. Understanding the, the speed of light he understood that if you go to Mars and your twin brother goes to Mars and comes back, when he comes back, or your older brother goes to Mars, when he comes back, he'll be younger than his older brother. If his older brother's still around, <laughs> it would be unlikely. And so, so the relativity of time, hmm? the relativity of time is, is built into the Vedic uh, understanding of uh, of, of material nature. Um, and so there's the Deva's time and then the mortal's earthly time and so forth. And so from Brahma's standpoint of time to take part in Krishna Leela takes a... What is this? One, is one day is a year or something. One minute is a year or something, I don't know, of our time. Something like that. So it's the idea. So... Interesting concept. In saying this, of course, I'm, I'm not saying you shouldn't take it like this, as, as some people unfortunately do, that all the scientific truths were known in the Vedas and and long ago, and today people are just finding out some of them. You know, it's, it's not like that. The truths are unlimited about the material world, and anything could change in it at any time. Someone had said uh, recently that gravity is not found in the Vedic text, it's not discussed. And therefore he reasoned that the reason that we don't fall off the earth is not gravity, but that it's flat. I replied in my mind when I saw that, the reason that gravity is not found in the Vedas is because Newton hadn't discovered it or had it revealed yet. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, and this is an interesting concept. The idea that the material world, if you will, the Maya Shakti of Bhagavan, is unlimited. And this is what Sugadev says in the Bhagavatam when he's asked about it by Prikshit Maharaj in the fifth canto. Can you tell me about the Maya Shakti, the material world? Because it is also a power of God, and by understanding it, 
contemplating it, then I can understand him better and love him more and something like that. So um, Sugadev replies, he says, I'll tell you this, no one could understand it or describe it in the lifetime of Brahma. It means with all the time it, it, at your disposal. It's unlimited. It's At its heart, it's a transformation of these gunas, as I was saying the other night, the sattva, rajas, and tamas. And... and um, it's like a like a magic show. It's very entertaining. It's a movie that can keep you entertained forever, hmm. unless you know the you get the intervention there to get pulled out of the theater hmm. and find out you have a life of your own outside of the theater, outside of the show of material nature that's fascinating and we've plugged into like a virtual reality and so forth. With a tap on the shoulder from from outside of that, you can find out you've got a great much more potential in sitting in a chair and living in a virtual reality. You've got a life you can, of transcendence and so forth. So, um, so he says the material world has it's a transformation of the gunas. No one can understand it. Hmm? He says I'll tell you something about it, an aspect of it. Hmm? And of course, he refers to the Puranic descriptions and perspective on the world, which is a, which is a, which is a, which is a, in the, in the Vedas we have a sacred universe because the universe is looked at from a spiritual vantage point and reflected on as a means to um, help us know ourself and transcend the. Um, uh, material influence. So that's the whole perspective. So descriptions of the world will be different than if you look at it from an entirely different perspective. To put it simply, as I've said other times, if you look at it through the perspective or the lens of seeking to control it and bring it in the fist of your intellect and uh, harness it uh, and rise above it in that way, hmm, you're going to look at it in a certain way and it's going to respond in a certain way. If you look at it through eyes of love, then it's going to look differently. It's going to be described differently. Hmm? I mean, when you're in love, you see things on tilt. Hmm? You're on tilt. Hmm? And so, yeah, you have a dreamy kind of perspective about it. Hmm? So you can find these types of descriptions of the world in the Puranas, that they're all being spoken of by, by they're coming from rishis and so forth hmm? who have a certain perspective and their perspective is that if you if you love someone they'll tell you all their secrets and so what they're really all about is extracting the secret from the womb of nature hmm? what is it that that you hold there in the cave the forest of nature and the answer is it's you, the self. And in human life, you can experience it and, and come to know it hmm? and find your way out, so to speak. Hmm? That's a beautiful idea. So from that vantage point, you're going to talk about the world uh, very differently. So we have very different descriptions of the, of the, like the planets and their distances and so forth in, in the Puranas. You have to look at what type of literature they are, 
who's who, who's the author, what's their perspective, and basically, you know, the, the world is so much to some extent. You know, idealism has its place. It's not that there is no matter, but hmm, exactly how it appears. It, it, it's it, the Vedic perspective is that the material world is, is existing. Matter is existing for the self, for the Atma. Hmm? So it's it's how it's perceived by the Atma uh, in, in different uh, states of awareness of itself will, will be different. Hmm? Um, so it's a whole. It's not like apples to apples. People look at the Puranas and they look at modern science. There's a problem here, or then they then when, and there if they have a simple faith, then they think, oh, uh, s- modern observation must be wrong, s- must be a conspiracy. You throw that out. This must be right. Hmm? Uh, it's like a Christian fundamentalist who says the Bible says it's what the world's six thousand years old, and so therefore must be, and everybody must be wrong. And, Science must be wrong, and then and then they don't. These types of people, unfortunately, don't stop to think that they that everybody does science hmm, and trusts it to a point. In other words, science is about observation. It's about honing <coughs> observation by way of segmenting off uh, a section of the environment and analyze observing it more closely. Hmm? And observation involves getting the data from it, from which then conclusions are are drawn. You could make wrong conclusions based on the data. The data is is the data. You know, the, 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 they say the statistics don't lie, but they do lie in that how you interpret them. Mm-hmm. You can't get away from that. You can't get away from the subjective interpretation of the data. Mm-hmm. So, in that sense, the op- the observation, if you will, as a way of knowing, is is is, is imperfect. Mm. Um, and so, our idea, of course, is that revelation is a way of knowing that transcends the limits of observation and and reasoning about the data derived from observation. But my point is that everybody does science. So before you started calling science a big conspiracy, you've got to realize that you do it too. <laughs> and, uh, and so on. So um, how do we get onto that? Relativity of time. Relativity of time, yeah. Brahma, relativity of time. Hmm. Yes? Well, I was just thinking how I was reading in the second canto, about the Bharat Rupa, and that's observing the world as part of Krishna's body, and that yeah. leads to devotional service. Yes. That's kind of cool. Well, in fact, in uh, Prabhupada's uh, commentary on the uh, third verse of the 16th chapter of the fifth canto, where um, Sugadev begins to answer Prikshit's question about the world, Prabhupada invokes that very point. Mm-hmm. <laughs> He's going to describe a world like the Varada Rupa, like the universal form, which is imaginary in a sense. It's a, it's 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 a way of looking at the world as if the world is the body of God and using that as a meditation. I gave the example the other night of the Gaia principle that um, decades ago 
What was his name? Lovejoy? Lovelock came up with, and his idea was that the the Earth is a the geo the Gaia is is an organism. Hmm? So looking at the Earth as a as a as a organic whatever as an organism, hmm? then we are all like cells in the organism. So it it um, causes a one to change one's perspective at vantage point rather than everything is under me I'm the center suddenly I'm a cell of an organic whole that is the earth and it's uh, so then you get these environmental like deep ecology environmental movements and so forth that that um, that are kind of quasi spiritual in a sense and they, they, they feel that environmentalism is their spiritualism and there's a deconstructing of the human sense of self as separate from the world who weighs in on it and judges it and and so on and so forth. It's, it's a whole change of, of focus. So we, we, we do that as well, of course, but we we recognize there's consciousness and there's matter, not that just we're just that the self is a false combination of matter and there is no self and which would be a more of a Buddhist perspective, merging with matter. But but at but at any rate, um this is another. It's a nice. It it can be used, for example, as a meditation, hmm? and so you can say, "Is is Lovelock? Did he make? You know, he made the, the Earth a person, right? If you want to now, if you now wanted to depict that artistically, his concept, I guess you'd put a smile on the Earth, and uh, you know, and uh, he gives him a name, you know, Gaia." Hmm? And he's a deity, right? And um, he's flat in some places, and he's round in other places, and and and, and so on. And and so that way of talking about the earth is a powerful way of talking about the earth that changes your perspective, which is a very uh, problematic perspective, thinking myself to be the center. Hmm? Consciously or unconsciously, but acting as such, as if the world is for me and so forth. The radical shift in that. Hmm? So you can say, well, the earth really isn't a person. I mean, a, he's not a guy, uh, um, but, uh, yeah, or he, or, you know, this is just poetic, or, uh, but of course he, he did it in a nice way by, you know, Combining it biologically and so forth, but still, um, you know, what is it? And if it is such, our understanding of it, our contemplation of it, that it shifts our the ground hmm, on which we presently stand and from which we view things to one that is more closely aligned with the reality that we're the part, not the whole. We have a role as a part to play, as a servitor, rather than the whole thing is serving me, then which perspective on the world is more true, more real? That one, for example, or a scientifically materialistic one that um, still has us, you know, uh, human-centric, uh, whatever, conquering the world, or, or you know, I mean... It, it, uh, Scientific materialism, of course, there is no self, and that's going a little deeper than... But anyway, you understand my point. Hmm? So the Vedas, they 
and the Puranas, where they're talking about the world, it's very important what the vantage point is that they're speaking about it from, what they'll say. And therefore, you can't make this kind of comparison in the sense of like apples to apples, you know, oranges to oranges in terms of the modern scientific perspective and the Puranic perspective. The whole vantage point of viewing the world and talking about it and so forth in the Puranas is to do so in such a way that it promotes moving in the direction of your real prospect in life as an Atma. If you don't accept the Atma from the beginning, which is kind of a, a scientific materialistic perspective, you, you know, you, 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 you may think that you gain a lot about knowing the world that those monks don't know about, but it's at the cost of quite a bit. It's at the cost of the sacred and, and of the self and meaning, purpose and value. They all go out the window when consciousness is, is thought to be no more than a physical force, which obviously can't be, can't be, can't be proven. And it's wrong. <laughs> so, yes? In there, um, Prabhupada mentions that each and every um, jiva has a role to play, and everyone's a servant, and has some service to render, but he doesn't say in the material world or the spiritual world, but because he's talking about the Bharat Rupa, it seems, and you always say this, it's happening now, you know, we're already serving, we're serving Krishna now, it's not like it's going to happen later on. Mm-hmm. you remember how you say that? Mm-hmm. So, is that kind of what Prabhupada means there? Like, it's happening now, but, you know, you may not recognize it because you're covered over by the looser energy. Yeah, I think that's what he means. I think that it's also important to with statements like that, um, they may cater to a certain mentality that that is good, but needs to be perhaps refined. Um, um, and that being that, oftentimes people look for their place. What does God want of me? They have a spiritual, basic perspective, and they want to know what's my role. What will I do? Serve God? How will I? What's my service? But it's without a metaphysical understanding of the self hmm, that transcends the body-mind complex, which is just, you know, a passing thing and so forth. Hmm. So, in one sense, first, he, he wants us to know, you to know what you are. Hmm. Knowing what you are, then it becomes, you have a greater prospect for understanding what, what's your service, if you will. <laughs> so, you know, I mean, it obviously it can break down, what does God want? Does he want me to be a doctor? Does he want me to be a lawyer? Does he want me to be an Indian chief? You know, because we were kids, it was something like that. Uh, uh, not quite. Uh, yeah, some better in mind. Yes. Um, is love an indication of your service? If you love us, if you're inclined towards some kind of service that's overwhelming and it blisses you out, is that an indication of your eternal service? Well. Um, there are different types of service, like say, for example, in bhakti, we have hearing, chanting, um, archan, worshipping the deity, and so forth. So one may love and gravitate towards one of these types of service or another, but they um, are all services rendered in this, this practitioner's body hmm, that will give rise in due course to the prospect of serving in the leela. Mm. That's what I was referring 
and 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 they may not have they may not have anything to do with that in one sense because they're all basically means to become absorbed absorb the mind and so forth that and that the self may come out and and uh, and so on and um, so someone could be attracted to archon someone could be attracted to kirtan someone could be attracted to another limb of bhakti and each of them could by that attain the same um, ideal in terms of a relationship with krishna so i would say uh, know about that but but if you like to do a particular service then as much as somebody wants that service and it becomes service then it's you're fortunate and, and you should do it and does that help I was wondering if it was a clear indication of your eternal service to Krishna in whatever form he is. So it would, it would matter, it would relate to the form of the Krishna and the service, right? Everybody has a service in this room that's unique to them, but they'll be rendering to Lord Krishna in some form. And um, if they're inclined and they feel like, um, for me, uh, I love sadhu sangha. I love to sit here and listen. And mm-hmm. I love to hear. And yeah, but see, but everybody. Uh, that that's related to the material series. Yeah, as I'm explaining, it's not. It's related to it, and it's not. It's related to it in that it's a means of of um, of progressing hmm, and absorbing and so forth. Now that said, the type of sadhu sangha you have that will have something to do with your eternal relationship. So if you associate with devotees steeped in Madhurya Rasa or steeped in Sakya Rasa, then you're going to develop in terms of Madhurya Rasa or Sakya Rasa. So they're there because if they speak, they um, associate with you. What is the, uh, for, the, the driving force behind their doing anything? Is their attachment to Krishna, so it comes out through the speaking, through the actions, through the, and so forth. Um, and so, just being in their presence, then we'll get impressions. So Jiva Goswami uh, has explained that association with sadhus in Dasi Rasa, or sadhus in Madhurya Rasa, or Sakya Rasa, mm-hmm. primarily, is the seed for one's own rati or bhava that will develop. Hmm? And so what will happen, you have that association, and then invisibly you'll get sangskars for a certain type of bhakti. And then as you hear and chant and do sadhu sangha and clean the floors and and, and so on and so forth, and your heart becomes purified hmm? of material rittis and influences and so on and so forth, then it becomes like a crystal, then the 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 rati, the bhava that it's associated with will like a crystal will take on that color. Hmm? First what will happen is the force of the bhakti will will cleanse the heart and polish the crystal which is now covered with dirt. Then it will then 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 when it's clear then it will shine. Hmm? But if you put a crystal next to a red rose, it will it will be red, right? Hmm? So, 
a sadhu sangha is, 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 is the way. Now, that said, we have a particular lineage. So in our lineage, there are two types of ideals that are prominent. The main ideal, in one sense it's prominent, is, is the Madhurya rasa, hmm? and romantic rasa, and a particular type of, of romantic rasa that involves serving the, uh, like a, being a handmaiden of Radha. Now, this is what, and Chaitanya Mahaprabhu came to taste the ecstasy, the bhava of Radha. As a byproduct of that, there's a way in which jivas can taste it. They can't become Radha like he uh, did in a sense, but they can become handmaidens of Radha, like Rupa Goswami was a, is a handmaiden, Sanatana Goswami. Now that said, the most prominent person in Chaitanya Leela who brought attention to Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, who started the whole Sampradaya and so forth, is Nityananda Prabhu. So he's the other self of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. He is the is the Balaram of, of Gaurila. And so he is brought, uh, wanted to help, assist, in uh, you know, on certain terms, the, the pursuit of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. So he puts himself in an assisting role, like the supporting actor, in the drama of Gorlila, he gets the you know the award for that, the best supporting actor, and so he t- brings all attention to Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, and the ideal of Madhurya Rasa that he is about, but he himself is steeped in Sakyarasa, in friendly love for Krishna, so invariably we find some devotees become influenced by Sakyarasa, like our Guru Maharaj, my Guru Maharaj, and. Um, and so, these currents, this this Manjari Bhav type of Madhurya Rasa, that particular type. There are many different types. That particular type, this lineage is a window of opportunity for that. And the Sakyarasa, there are different types of Sakyarasa, and also the, there's a particular type of Sakyarasa that seems more prominent in this uh, Gaudiya lineage than others as well. So, um, and we find Prabhupada identified with that. So. One of these two influences, now you're going to meet sadhus of different, some, like for example, you could, um, my Guru Maharaj was in Sakyaras, Pujapachita Maharaj, my Sikh Guru was in Mandariya so they're competing influences. Hmm? One of them will, become, will be dominant, hmm? and that, that will then um, be the determining factor. And... And in, in the case of Prabhupada, of course, his Sakyaras is influenced by Madhurya in the way that yogurt could be influenced by sugar hmm, and become sweeter. Hmm? So a particular type of Sakyarasa that's influenced by Madhurya Rasa. Um, or, or that particular type of Madhurya Rasa. And, and it's complicated, but these two types, the type of Sakyarasa, the upper end of that, and the Manjari Baba, they have similar... Um, um, services in the Leela. And so, there's a, <laughs> yeah. I'm wondering, as you're speaking, when we speak of Lord Nichananda, and of course we know this is also Lord Balaram in Braj Bhakti, but in Chaitanya Leela, is he allowed a more intimate position in relationship to the Madhurya Leela? In other words, we, we would not put Lord Balaram 
on the same altar as Radha Krishna for specific reasons, but is there more intimacy available to Nityananda in, in Chaitanya Leela? I, I would say no. Serving in the Majurya capacity? I would say no. We don't put Nityananda and Gore together on the altar with Radha and Krishna. We won't put Chaitanya Mahaprabhu with Radha and Krishna. But Nityananda was absent in that equation. Okay, so then my question goes on. Okay. The window of opportunity that you've stressed is Triyanarma Sakas, those friendly associates that directly... Uh-huh, I see what your question is, your line of reasoning. It's not exclusively that. Therefore, the Dwadasa Gopals, associates of Nityananda Prabhu, some of them are Priyasakas, some of them are Priyanarmasakas. I think it's, I think those two are found. There's also um, Sakas, Priyanarmasakas, Priyasakas, and what's the other one? Um, Surat. 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 Mixed with, with Vatsalya. Mm-hmm. So amongst the Dvadasa Gopals who came, well, I don't know. I don't. I don't think you have the whole range. I think you have the range of the, of the of priyasakas, and priyanarmasakas, means pure, unadulterated sakiras, and sakiras influenced by Madhurya, in those Dwadasagopals. I believe that's what, that's what you'll find there. Um, but the prominent influence, like you know, you have Prabhupada, you have, um, uh, for example. Uh, Gopu Kumar and Brihad Bhagavatamrita. But there are lineages of Priyasakas, like the lineage of Nain and Thakur is a Priyasaka. Um, so you have both of them. Um, now, that's not in Balaram's constitution, right? He's not a Priyanarmasaka. Hmm? Right. right. Hmm. Um, but he, um, but he's Balaram, <laughs> you know, he's, he's God, so... Um, uh, those boys that are influenced by him are also influenced by the gopis, and so. But he, he but uh, of course, now some people reason that, that in the form of an angamanjari, he's tasting the madhurya rasa. But I've talked about that. That's a separate thing. That's a shakti tattva. Yes. There's also, I mean, the whole idea of Krishna Kaviraj, who was influenced by Balaram. I mean, Balaram sent him to Vrindavan, and of course, he's. He's a manjari. So, I mean, that's... Well, that's the point I was making earlier, that no one has done more than Nityananda Prabhu to bring people to Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. He, st- he started the whole Sampradaya. He put all focus on Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. He he wants everybody to become, uh, have the opportunity to become a, a manjari, but some people will be influenced by him, his own bhava. Yeah. So there's a kind of a little bit of confusion sometimes because if we look at the actual Sampradaya, Sampradaya starts with really the six Goswamis and then it, it kind of dies down a bit and then Bhattavinoda Thakur comes along and introduces modernity and all of a sudden we get this huge explosion of Krishna consciousness of the Gaudiya Sampradaya and Prabhupada comes along and brings it to the West and the rest is history. But my thought was, you know, you, you were bringing up this idea of... Um, 
these different races, but I was thinking of Bhaktivinoda specifically in his writings. It seems like he's very broad in his whole interpretation of Krishna consciousness, not just Madhurya Ras, he's, you know, like Jaiva Dharma. Well, Bhaktivinoda Thakur highlights the two possibilities in in what I often refer to as windows of opportunities in in, in Jaiva Dharma. He doesn't he doesn't he doesn't um, um, showcase the Vatsalya, the Dasya. When they, I mean in Jaiva Dharma it's talked about, but the principal players, Vijay Kumar and Rajanath, they're in one is a Priyanarmasaka, one is a Manjari. In the way Bhaktivinoda Thakur is saying, these are the opportunities that are really presented in Gaudiya Vaishnavism. Otherwise, the different rasas are explained just like they are in Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu. Hmm? And he's drawing from there, of course, laying it out and so on. But the two deities of Chaitanya Sampradaya are who? No, Gornitai. <laughs> They founded the Sampradaya. I mean, in terms of founding the Sampradaya, and the, the, the presiding, you know, there's, there's different ways to talk about. But that was referring to Gore and Nityananda. They bring it, so they're bringing something with them, and that influence is 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 there. That's where it comes from. They started the Sampradaya. They are the Samasti gurus, the macrocosmic gurus, and then you have all the microcosmic gurus that appear afterwards. In the lineage, and so these are the two sentiments. So, if you want Vatsalya Rasa, you go to the Balava Sampradaya. Hmm? You'll be facilitated there. There, they worship Nathji in Vatsalya Rasa. They have also a type of Madhurya Rasa different than in Gaudiya Vaishnavism. Hmm? He was a contemporary of Mahaprabhu Balava. Mahaprabhu blessed him in Bhakti Ratnakar, have his own Sampradaya. Hmm? And so, if you want Vatsalya Rasa, then you'll be facilitated. You go. You can go there. Hmm? But we don't find we, we don't find that in Gaudiya Sampradaya. So it seems so so out of out of the box for someone like Srila Prabhupada to open the seat of Rob. It's not so much out of the box because um I, I appreciate what you're saying. Prabhupada in some temples established deities of Sita and Ram because there were a lot of ethnic Hindus who were Ram Bhaktas hmm? in his estimation or at least in sentiment that, that they were you know drawn to that and so he established deities for them but if you look at Hari Bhakti Vilas hmm? then which is a core text for the you know the architects of the lineage then you find mantras for Ram Bhakti descriptions of this it's a much broader text hmm? So he's giving a broad idea of Vaishnavism, and um, and then there's the refined, and this has works well with the fact that Chait, who is Chaitanya Mahaprabhu and what is his mantra. If his main mantra is the Hare Krishna mantra, the mantra is universal. In other words, it can have a very um, specific meaning or a very broad meaning. Hmm? So the 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 more you know, deeper you go, the more specific it will become. The wider you are concerned with your outreach, the broader it will become. Hmm? So Prabhupada was personally empowered for broad outreach, hmm? and that's 
and we're all here because of that. It's very powerful. Uh, it's a huge thing that he did. So when the route reaches broad, then there will be, it will lend itself in places to interpretations that are more universal of the mantra. So Prabhupada was asked, you know, is the name Ram in the in in the Hare Krishna mantra to refer to Radharaman? No, does it refer to Ramachandra or or Balaram? And, and and what did Prabhupada say? You know, it depends on the devotee or something like that. And you can you can find people in South India chanting Hare Krishna Mantra twenty four hours a day, and the Ram they're thinking of is is, is Ramachandra. No harm. Hmm? Mahaprabhu himself, when he began to go, just, and this is then the deity is universal also. So Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is, is universal in the sense that all forms of divinity, he being Krishna, all forms of divinity are within him. If Krishna is the fountainhead of divinity, then all the forms of Narayan, Varaha, this, that, Ram, and so forth, are there within him. So you can worship Chaitanya Mahaprabhu with the Hare Krishna mantra and get any kind of bhakti. Hmm? Hmm. That's true. That's the universality of it. Hmm? If your approach is wide, wide dissemination, then there will be instances where you, you know, cater to that and so forth. When your focus is more uh, specific, and so then then not then you get verses like Nam Shreshtam Apisachiputram, that Raghunath is praying with his respects to his guru who gave him not the holy name, but who gave them who Chaitanya Mahaprabhu who carried the highest conception Nam. Shrestam of the name. So what is the highest conception of the mantra and what is the broader and so forth. So both sides are there. And you have the Yuga Dharma side of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. I was saying when he went to South India, how is he characterized? When he's leaving Puri and going to South India, what is the what is the first thing out of his mouth? Who can say? Krishna, 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 Krishna. Hey. Krishna, 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 Krishna. Krishna, hey. Ram, Raghava, Ram, Raghava, Ram, Raghava, Rakshamam. Krishna, Keshava, Krishna, Keshava, Krishna, Keshava, Pahimam. And he heads to the south. There are all kind of Ram Bhaktas there, different uh, notions of, of who Krishna is, like Venkata's notion, which Mahaprabhu refined and so forth, who was a worshiper of Narayan. Uh, and so on. So, Sadbuj, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, all right. So, we'll stop there. Shri Shri Goranamada Bhakti Jai, Gauri Vaishnav Guru Parampara Ki Jai, Gaur Bhakta Vrinda Ki Jai, Oh Premanandi.